morning. Welcome to our service today. Please stand for the call to worship. You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for bringing us here safely together. Please be with us as we worship you with each of our talents and gifts which you have blessed us with through your spirit. Help us use them in fellowship with one another as your people. Father, lead us during this time to learn more about the kingdom you would have us embody. Thank you for guiding us this past week. Please continue to show us your will and give us the courage to pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. That is why we gather as we come together each week for worship. We're so glad that you're here. We welcome those of you who may be uh, guests this morning. And we pray that for all of us, this is a wonderful time of, of encountering God and sharing our lives together in worship. We invite you to take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. Wednesday evening is one of the highlights of our children's, uh, Wednesday evening children's program as they gather for the annual Buddy Keith Memorial Grand Prix and sailboat races. There's a lot, if you've not been there, there's a lot of energy and excitement as they're racing cars and sailboats and it's a real fun time together. And um, some of you have children who may be a part of that event. If you don't, I invite you to come to cheer on uh, the kids as they uh, race and participate. It's just a, a great night together. And uh, that starts this Wednesday at 6.30. Next Sunday morning, worship at 8.20, 9.40, and 11. As you see, we're moving toward Easter uh, activities of Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, the Journey to the Cross, and also uh, Easter Sunday morning. We'll be baptizing people on Easter morning in the early service. If you'd like to be baptized, let me know as we'll be uh, putting together a class for preparation for that event. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Uh, We do want to give thanks for some good reports this week. A good report from Linda Roth and for Bruce Brenneman and Donna Hess as uh, they they had some some real positive uh, results from tests. And we give thanks to God for that and that answer to prayer. And we continue to pray for their healing as well as for others. We do also have uh, the joy of uh, announcing a a new birth in our church family, David Seyun Park. Uh, born to Junku and Ji Young, uh, he uh, was born this weekend, and I think we have a picture. Maybe I don't know. He had a picture. There he is. And uh, we give thanks for uh, for this new life in uh, in our church and in the community. We're glad to to have him, and we look forward to to meeting him as a part of of the family and worship here. I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Merciful Lord, you've told us that if we love you, then we are to do so with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. While knowing this command, we confess that instead of living in total surrender, we have resolved to give you just enough. We declare you are Lord with our mouths, but we do not affirm it with our lives. We follow the path of ease and comfort instead of choosing to live in faithful obedience. We hoard all that we can instead of trusting you for our daily bread. We seek vain recognition instead of bringing you glory. Forgive us, Lord, our thoughts, attitudes, and actions that have hindered people from knowing you. And help us to accept the life, abundant life, that can only be found in you. Amen.
Exodus 12:14 through 20. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Please accept these gifts that we return to you now as an offering from our lives. Help us to continue to offer ourselves as living sacrifices according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What wondrous love is this? Invite me to your side 
to share your bread and drink your wine. To God and to the Lamb, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. A wondrous love poured so lavishly on me. A child of God, I am yours and I am free. You call my name and you lead me to your cross. To count all I once held gain as loss. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss? To bear that dreadful curse for my soul. To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. It is because of God's wondrous love in Christ that we gather and we come to him in prayer. As we offer our prayers together today, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, it is difficult for us to put into words your wondrous love. But we come today in gratitude and thanksgiving for your love in Christ that reaches to us and offers to us salvation, freedom, hope, joy. Life. Father, as we gather today, we are reminded of the needs and the burdens in our lives and in those close to us and in this world. We thank you for the good reports that we have received this week about Linda and Bruce and Donna. And we praise you for that. And we pray you will continue your healing grace in them. We continue to pray for Jeannie and for Bev, for Edna and Micah, and for Bob and Bill, for Crystal and Emily and others who in this moment of silence, we pray for. 
Father, we pray your merciful comfort upon all who are grieving. Grief comes to us in a variety of ways and avenues and experiences. In the pain and loss that we we experience in this world, we pray for your comforting presence and we pray that you will help us to support and love one another. Father, we pray for our world. We think of the people who are trying to figure out how to live and respond as the search for Flight 370 continues. We pray that there would be some answers, some closure, and healing. We pray, Father, for the people who have been most affected by the mudslide in Washington. We pray for families that are grieving, for people who have been injured, for just the trauma of these kinds of events. We pray for people around the world who are facing natural disasters and tragedies, famine, drought, war, and ask for your mercy. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who endure great opposition, persecution, and threats. We pray that you would give them strength to stand tall for you. We pray that you would give them all that they need to be your people in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Help them to know our prayers and our support. And we pray that that their faithful lives would be a catalyst, a witness to help us live faithful lives. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Draw us together in heart and purpose as we continue to worship you. Let the spirit of the cross be upon us in power and grace. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the one who so graciously provides us with a model for prayer to teach us how to pray, to unify us in mind and purpose. The prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Luke 22, 1 through 34. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and waited for 
and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house. The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, we thank you for the cross that calls us to give our all. We pray that you would give us grace to respond as you desire. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. And I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit this morning. You know, it makes, makes you nervous. But we, I suspect we all have some kinds of traditions or rituals that are a part of our lives. Maybe things your family did when you were growing up. Maybe things you've established as part of your family now. And I was just curious if three or four people might be willing to take just a minute to share something about one of your family traditions or rituals. Just stand up where you are and give us a brief summary of that. Probably so. Seymour Street. (laughs) Thank you. Anybody else? That's awesome. I saw someone stand up over here. Sandy? Uh, in my family of origin, we 
That's terrific. Thank you very much for sharing. We all have these kinds of traditions. I was thinking about this myself. One of my, one of my, our family traditions growing up was going to church camp in the summer, and you know it was fun. We had a cabin there, and I'm sure I didn't enjoy it because we went to church three times a day, but because of the snack bar, you get ice cream all the time. It was awesome, and friends to play with, and. And, you know, we would, uh, as a family, join, there's about usually 20 of us, we'd go to a baseball game in Cincinnati every summer. And our family now, we got into a tradition when John was just a toddler of on Thanksgiving Day watching the Disney movie, The Happiest Millionaire. And we typically do that most Thanksgiving still. And we all know the songs to that, and we all can feed the lines to each other after all these years. And we watched the Christmas Carol, Scrooge, the 1951 version that we watched when I was a child. And now we still watch it. And even though Ted Turner has colorized it, we like the black and white version. There's something about that that we like. We have all these traditions. And, and I think we have these traditions and they're meaningful to us. And we, and we gravitate toward those because God created us with those. He created us to want those and desire those. We look at the scriptures and God is continually telling his people, there are things that I want you to do. And I want you to do these. Some of these things I want you to do weekly. Some of these things I want you to do monthly. Some of these things I want you to do yearly. Some of them are every seven years. Some of them are every 50 years. But I want you to, to do these things, these rituals, these traditions. They're important. And the question that's come to my mind is, if we have traditions and rituals that are valuable and special to us, and God has said, here are some that are good for you, why is it that we struggle in the church with rituals and traditions? We have a tendency to say, I don't think we should do that. I don't want to be a part of that. And I think it's because it, sometimes rituals become ritualistic. And traditions become meaningless. They're empty, and, and they're just obligations that we fulfill. When you look at the first couple of verses of Luke 22, it says it was Passover time. And what are the religious leaders doing? Getting ready for the Passover? No, they are plotting to frame Jesus so they can murder him. That ritual is completely empty, meaningless to them. It, it, has, it has no bearing on their lives. When I thought about, think about that, I, it, I, what I have in my mind is a, an image of, the, of a mafia don ordering a hit on his way to mass. Or Christians picketing at a soldier's funeral and hurling invectives at the people who are grieving. Or leaving worship and getting into an argument about who has a better understanding of the church or worship or who gets to use the church. And sometimes these rituals feel empty and meaningless. Years ago, I read a story about a guy who became a believer and people told him he should spend time every day in Scripture, reading the Scriptures, meditation, prayer, and so he did. He started out five or ten minutes and, and he went into his bedroom and it was really meaningful time. And as he went along, he kept spending more and more time doing this. And it became the time he looked forward to more than anything else. And he loved it, but, and so did his cat. His cat loved it. His cat would 
crawl around his leg and climb up on his lap. And he found it to be very distracting. And so he put the cat out and closed the door. But all that did, the cat just stood at the door and meowed at him the whole time. And so he, that was even more distracting. So he let the cat in. And he finally figured out that what he would do is tie the cat to the bedpost. And worked fine. The cat would just stay in a little area, lay on the floor. It was fine. And he had his, his devotional time. When his daughter got older, she wanted to carry on this tradition that she'd seen so, so meaningful to her father. And so she, too, would set aside time to go into her bedroom and to pray and to meditate and to read the scriptures. And, the, and she had a cat, and the cat loved to be there, too. And she tied the cat to the bedpost every day. And, 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 but her time was... She was a little busier, and she didn't spend an hour. She spent 15, 20 minutes. When her son got older and he started his family, he wanted to carry on the family traditions as well. But his life was even busier. And so he decided that he didn't have time for prayer or meditation or reading of Scripture, but he wanted to carry on the tradition. So every morning we got dressed, he tied the cat to the bedpost. <laughs> Sometimes... It feels like we're just tying cats to bedposts. But it doesn't have to be that way. The problem is not the ritual. The problem is not the tradition. The problem is us. The problem is what we bring to it. See, these rituals, these traditions, everything that God designs for us is about remembering. It's about engaging with God. They're intended to help us engage God and mostly about remembering who God is and who we are. And so you look back at the Old Testament festivals and, and God says to them, the Passover, you're going to do this every year. And here's why. Every time you do this, you remember, I brought you out of Egypt. You didn't do this on your own. I'm the one that got you out of there. I'm the one that established you as a nation. And you need to remember that. I want you to remember it every day, but at the very least, once a year, set aside time to remember The Feast of Pentecost, this time when they bring in the harvest. Remember, everything you have is because I've blessed you. The Feast of Tabernacles or Booths is a reminder to them that they lived in the wilderness 40 years because they rejected God. And yet God still was faithful to them. And they go out and they set up these little lean-tos and they live in them to remind them that even though they rejected God and that's why they were in the wilderness, he cared for them. And the Feast of Purim is intended to remind them that God rescued them from death through Queen Esther. And all of these, all of these rituals, all of these traditions are intended to remind them. They don't have to be empty. They can be powerful for us. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want to, I want to engage with you in the Passover. You would think if as meaningless as this ritual is to some of the people, particularly the religious leaders, and how much that trickles down into the people, we don't know. But you can imagine Jesus saying, look, that thing is so messed up, let's not do that. Instead, he says, I want to embrace this. I want you to understand why we're doing this. And, of course, he brings his new dynamic into it by talking about his broken body and his shed blood. And he says to them, every time you do this, every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, remember, remember, remember. What is it we remember when we come to this table? 
we remember our sin. We remember that the cross, this table, is necessary because of our sin. And we acknowledge that we have sinned. This table challenges us to acknowledge the ways in which we reject God and how we hurt one another and make selfish decisions. All of the ways in which we sin, we're confronted at this table. I don't know if the right word is ironic or sad or tragic, but it intrigues me that as Jesus is is sharing with them this most deep moment about his shed blood and his broken body, it's surrounded by sin. You have the betrayal of of Judas. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And that starts a whole conversation of, of the, where the disciples start arguing with each other. And it moves from who's the worst to who's the best. I have in my mind this, the, this conversation as Jesus talks to them about one of you is going to betray me. And they're saying, well, it's not me. It's not me, is it? I wouldn't do that. And from I wouldn't do that to I wouldn't do that because I'm the best. I'm Jesus' favorite. I'm closer to Jesus than anyone else. No, you're not. I am. No, you're not. I am. No, I am. And this whole and I can see Jesus sitting there as this conversation intensifies and gets louder and louder. And I I almost picture him rolling his eyes and saying, "Oh my goodness, I've lost complete control of the room here." He says, "Guys, stop! Don't you remember how many times I have to tell you, my kingdom is not who's the greatest. It's about who serves." It's about surrendering yourself, giving up your rights, being vulnerable, just like I have done with you and I'm going to do on the cross. This table confronts our natural human instinct to avoid the truth about ourselves. And it calls us to acknowledge our sin, to repent, to be honest. But as much as this table is about our sin and about us, it is far more about Christ. It is about God's grace. It is Jesus' broken body and shed blood, not ours. He says, every time you do this, remember me. What I've taught you, what I am doing for you. Remember all of the promises I've made to you. Remember that my kingdom is about grace. Yes, you all are going to struggle with sin. When you come to this table, you acknowledge your sin. But your sin can be absorbed in my grace if you will let me. This is a table of grace and mercy and love. This is a sacrament of grace and mercy and love. Every time you do this, remember what I've done for you and give thanks and open your heart and let me fill you with my grace and my spirit. That's why John Wesley referred to this as a means of grace. We come to this table and there are lots of things about, this, about this, the Lord's Supper that we can't quite wrap our minds around. 
We are encountering the mystery of God. We are encountering the mystery of the cross. There's so much that we simply cannot fully explain. But as we come, we remember God's grace. And we receive it. And we rejoice in his love and mercy poured out upon us through the cross. Every one of us. This table is not intended to exclude us. It is intended as an invitation for all who yearn for God. Even if we don't understand everything about the kingdom. Even if we haven't got all of our ducks in a row. We have a yearning for God. He says, come. When you look around that table, honestly, it's a messed up group of men. But Jesus says, my broken body. My shed blood. Remember, this is about my grace poured out upon you. Take, eat, drink the cup. And I am convinced that this ritual and all of the Christian rituals that we practice are intended to be experienced in community. So often we we get wrapped up in me and Jesus. And there's a place for that. It's important. But ultimately, the kingdom is about us and Jesus. And this is a table that invites us. It's a table we practice as a community, as the body of Christ. With all of our diversity, all of our differences, all of the different journeys that we are on, this table brings us together as we acknowledge our sin and as we acknowledge God's grace. Paul talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one loaf. And we come together as one in Him. It's one of the reasons I, I love when we take communion, walking to the front. As you see all the diversity of who we are and all the diversity of our journeys. And yet we are united in the bread and the cup through the grace of God in Christ. I've talked to you about this before and I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I like watching the Food Network. I'm secure enough in my manhood that I can admit the fact that I I like watching the Food Network. I don't just watch it because Cindy likes it. I I enjoy watching some of the shows on the Food Network. Now, you realize most of the chefs are male, which, you know, adds some, you know, maleness to the whole thing. But it's interesting to me, as we watch some of these cooking competitions, that there is a pattern that I see developing almost every single episode. There is almost always at least one, if not more, of the chefs that are competing who, if you met them on the street, you would never guess they were a chef. You might think they were in a bodybuilding competition, or you might think they were part of a gang, or you might think any of those kinds of things, because you look at them, and I mean, they are, you know, they have so many muscles, and they wear t-shirt you know, T-shirts that are just bulging. They got tattoos all over them. 
And you look at them and you can tell they, they've lived a rough life. And as their stories begin to emerge, they talk, many of them talk about how they have come out of drug addiction or alcohol addiction or other kinds of self-destructive behaviors. And they have found their way. But one of the things I find fascinating is as they stand before usually a panel of judges and they begin to talk about this dish that they've prepared and they are asked, what inspired you to, to cook this? Many of them will say, it was because of thinking about my grandmother or my mother, sometimes a father or an aunt. And as they begin to tell their story, some of these great big burly men just lose it. I mean, some of them are weeping so much, they can't even talk. You know, they're turning their heads away and wiping their eyes and trying to act like they're just peeling onions. But they are, you know, they are so moved emotionally as they think about these people in their lives that are still driving what they do. And that dish sitting there in front of that judge is, is inspired by remembering these people who have so greatly influenced them. And it strikes me as an apt metaphor for this table. That we come to this table engaging all of our senses because remembering is not just with our minds. It's with our hearts, our emotions, our actions, our relationships, every part of our being. When we think about remembering, we come to this table and it ought to, it ought to just strike us with a sense of awe as we remember and sorrow about our sin and rejoice about God's grace. God's grace that redeems us from our sin and forgives us and sets us free and gives us life that we don't deserve but are offered freely. And I wonder what would happen to our worship, to our church, to our families, places where we work, our lives, this town and the other towns where you may live. If every time we came to this table, the memory of who we are and the memory of what Christ has done grabs a hold of us. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gifts you give us. And mostly we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. For your grace poured out upon each of us, undeserving as we are. Father, we acknowledge our sin. And Father, we celebrate your grace. We pray that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the bread and the cup. 
that as we eat and drink, this will be food for our souls. That we will be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. That we will know the blessing of the risen Christ in each of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction, means to dip in. As you are released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. Return to your seat by the outside aisle. If you'd like to stay at the altar and pray, it is always open for you to do so. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have a tray of bread and cups, and we will be happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And we also have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If that is something that you need, just let me know as you come forward, and I will serve you. I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire to, to know His grace in your mind and heart, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.